Welcome to Cornerstone Reformed Baptist Church. Thank you for using and sharing our resources. What you're about to hear is God's Word from one of our teaching elders. We trust that God's Word will inspire, instruct, and bless you. For further teachings or information on our ministry, please visit us on our website at cornerstonerbc.com. That's cornerstonerbc.com. So, Brandon, we will speak, and it's a pleasure to be here again with you. And now to address today the letter of Paul written to Philemon. The first time that I preached here, we, we spoke about the glory of God and the reason why we should behold the glory of God. And the second time we spoke about the chastening of the Lord. But we'll start, and this will be, Lord willing, the first one in the book of Philemon. And we'll address this letter that Paul wrote to Philemon. Probably when Paul wrote this letter, he was in Rome as described in Acts chapter 28 in his house arrest. So he was there and probably he received Onesimus in a way that we don't know how, but Onesimus, the one that we'll be dealing here in this letter as well, was a slave uh, and Philemon was his master and Onesimus was his slave. He fled from his master's house, ended up in Rome probably, met with Paul and the Lord saved him under the ministry of the apostle Paul. And now this man and Paul will write this letter, sending Onesimus back to Philemon so that he would receive him, forgive Onesimus and receive him back. Not as a slave anymore, but as a brother in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have the letter of the Apostle Paul written here alongside with Timothy as well. And he will mention other brothers as well at the end of this letter. Probably Philemon was based in Colossus. Because we have in the letter written to the Colossians, Paul will mention the name of Archippus, which is also mentioned in this letter. He will say that Onesimus is one of them. And Onesimus is the one bringing this letter to Philemon alongside Tychicus. So we have this man who ran away from his master, coming back with a letter written by the Apostle Paul to deliver there to the one whom he fled from. We see Paul seeking to do something for these two brothers, which is reconciliation. As we are reconciled to God, we also reconcile to one another. And he's speaking about it, brethren. I want to speak with you and I want to uh, speak this afternoon about the intentionality of the Christian life in our fellowship with one another. The intentionality of the Christian life in our fellowship with one another. Brethren, fellowship. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Brethren, fellowship. Fellowship takes into account forgiveness. Takes into account receiving. As we have fellowship with the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ, we also have fellowship with one another. And that fellowship should be lived in intentionality. We should reach a goal in everything that we do, in everything that we say to one another, in how we act towards one another, in how we speak towards one another. It should be intentional. It should be with the heart and the mind of Christ. Brethren, we are called to be intentional. We as Christians, those who are saved by the grace of God, we are called to live intentionally, to live with a purpose, with a goal in mind, in everything that we do. You and me, we are called to be intentional in our speech. We will give an account of every idle word that comes out of our mouth. 
everything that we say, every empty word that comes out of our mouth will give an account to God for that. We are called to be intentional in our speech, in the words that comes out of our mouth, in our relationship with one another, how we speak with one another, and what we speak with one another. The Word of God will tell us that our speech, that we should speak with grace, and our speech should be seasoned with salt. That's how we should speak with one another, so that we may know how to answer one another. So that we may know how to have communication with one another. It should be by the grace of God, seasoned with salt. We'll be judged not just by the words that comes out of our mouth. Not just by what we say, but also by what we think. We are called to be intentional in our speech and in our thoughts. We are before the one who sees all things. We're before the one who created the eyes. Can he not see? The one who can seize the most deep part of your being. Things that you are not even aware of. He can see and he knows all things. For him, darkness and light are the same. As clear as crystal before the Lord. He knows the heart of man. And what is in the heart of man. And that should bring us fear. But praise be to God that we have our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's because of His righteousness that we have access to God. But you who do not have Christ yet, remember, you give an account of the things that you say, you give an account of the things that you think, that's why you need the Lord Jesus Christ. You know your thoughts. You know your words. You know what you seek after, your own desires, and to fulfill the pleasures of your heart. We'll give an account not just in the words that we speak with the thoughts that we think. We'll give an account in our deeds as well. We are called to be intentional. We are called to be intentional in our thoughts because the word of God will tell us that we should seek, seek those that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. That our thoughts should be filled with what is righteous, of good report, of what is holy, namely Christ. Our minds should be filled with the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that we will give an account, or we should know that we will give an account for our actions. We are called to be intentional in whatever we do, in the things that we do. The Word of God will tell us whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do. Whether we speak with one another, whether we encourage one another, we pray for one another. In whatever we do, it should be done to the glory of God. Not just to the glory of God, but to the edification of the church. Not just to the edification of the church, but to the salvation of the lost. As I said, fellowship takes intentionality. And we should be intentional, seek to be intentional in all those things. The Christian life has meaning, has purpose, and should be lived in the light of the glory of God. So that we may do all things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And God may be glorified by the works that comes from faith. And why I'm speaking about intentionality. Brethren, as we read this letter, we'll see the Apostle Paul being intentional in everything that he says. 
We can apply that to the other letters as well. His intentionality, as he was guided, inspired by the Holy Spirit to write these letters. He was intentional in all things. We can see the intentionality of the Apostle Paul in this letter to Philemon in his opening. Even though it's a personal letter addressed specifically to Philemon. So that he would receive Onesimus back, his slave who had run away. So that he would forgive him and receive him back so that reconciliation would happen. Even though it was a personal letter, Paul decides to address not just Philemon, but Aphia, Archippus, and the church in his house. There is intentionality in that. It's not, not out of purpose or meaning that he's doing that. Paul is intentional by the grace of God in his encouragement. He will encourage Philemon. I thank my God make mentions of you always in my prayer. Hearing of your faith, of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus Christ and toward all the saints. He was pointing Philemon to the work of God in his life. Telling him God is at work. He was intentional in his prayer that the fellowship of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you, in Christ Jesus. He was asking of God to do that which Philemon needed at that time. So that he would accomplish what Paul was requiring of him or appealing to him to do. He was intentional not just in those things, but in his approach to Philemon. He says, therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ... Though I might be very bold in Christ Jesus to command you what is fitting. Yet for love's sake, I'd rather appeal to you. Intentionality in the way that he approaches this brother in Christ. He was intentional as well, not just in his approaching, but what he did so that reconciliation would happen. He was intentional. He wrote this letter with a purpose in mind, with a goal in mind, with an intention in mind. Having confidence of your obedience, I write to you, he says to Philemon. He was intentional in writing this letter. He was intentional in sending Onesimus back. He could have kept Onesimus with him. In fact, Paul would tell Philemon, Onesimus was unprofitable to you, now he's profitable to you and to me. I'm sending him back. You therefore receive him, my own heart. He decides to send Onesimus back. Not just the letter. Because he knew that for reconciliation to take place, he should receive Onesimus. He should forgive Onesimus for the wrongdoing that he has done to his master. He was intentional not just in what he did by sending him back, by writing the letter, in the way that he opened this letter, in his encouragement, in his prayer, in the way that he approached Philemon. He was intentional as well in his expectation. He was certain that Philemon would do even more than what he asked him. Not because of Philemon, because he trusted in the one who started the good work. And he's the one who will bring it to completion. Paul knew the God who answers prayer. And who answers uh, abundantly, above than what we ask or think. He was intentional in writing this letter. And as we read this letter soon... I want you to think about those things that I'm telling you. He was intentional, brethren, because his heart was changed. His worldview was changed. He was now part of the family of God. 
And he knew that he was not just addressing the man Philemon. But as he says, a beloved friend, a fellow laborer, a brother in Christ. He knew that he was addressing Philemon not on behalf of the man Onesimus, but of the brother Onesimus, who was once away from the family of God, but now by the grace of God, adopted into his family, and our brother in Christ, not just of Paul, but Philemon as well. Paul did what a brother should seek to do, reconciliation between two brothers in Christ. As I said, he was intentional in all those things that he did, and his intentionality was with one goal, reconciliation. And we can speak about a lot of things in this letter, because we think of our reconciliation with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, that God does not just forgive us, but he receives us into his family. For reconciliation to take place, we know that receiving needs to take place. That forgiveness needs to take place. And we see that in this letter. But brethren, in light of what I said, let's just approach this letter and read it. And I want to read the whole letter with you and just keep those things in mind. Let's start in verse 1. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow labor, to the beloved Aphia, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Therefore, Though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. I am sending him back. You therefore receive him, that is, my own heart, whom I wish to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. But without your consent, consent I wanted to do nothing, that your good deed might not be by compulsion, but as it were, but voluntary. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? If then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. But if he has wronged you or owns, you or owns anything, put that on my account. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay not to mention to you 
that you owe me even your own self besides. Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. But meanwhile, also prepare for me, for I trust that through your prayers, I shall be granted to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Brethren, as I said, we are called to live our lives and to have fellowship with one another intentionally. That's why the title, it's the intentionality of the Christian life in our fellowship with one another. And brethren, the, the intentionality that we see in, in the Apostle Paul with the things that we read, was not mechanical, was not something that he put on a paper, was ticking box, I should do this, I should do that. But no, it, flew, it, it, it did flow from the love of God for him. It did flow from the faith that was granted to him by God. Or something that did flow naturally by the faith that was granted to him in the Lord Jesus Christ. It was not mechanical. But his faith, his approach, his intentionality was guided by four things that I want to mention this afternoon for you. And when we think of our fellowship with one another and live our lives intentionally in the light of God and in the light of the brethren so that we spend and are spent for the brethren, for the glory of God and for the salvation of the lost. As we think of that, let not just think that this is done in a mechanical way. There are four things that need to guide the way that we live our lives. Four things that need to be on the forefront of our minds as we have fellowship with one another. I will not address everything that is in this letter. I just want to speak about this point. And as I said, four things guided Paul and should guide us in our fellowship with one another in the local church. The first one was love. The first one, the first thing that guided Paul in his intentionality in writing this letter and all the other letters in the relationship that he had with brothers and sisters that should guide us as well is love. And when I say love, brethren, I don't mean your love for me or my love for you, but the love of God for us. That's what should, should guide us. As I said, Paul will say, therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ, as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, to command you, to tell you what to do, what is fitting, yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you. The second thing that guided Paul's intentionality and should guide, should guide our intentionality is a desire to see a brother and a sister grow in the likeness of Christ. Should be a desire to see a brother and a sister grow in the likeness of Christ. Paul tells Philemon, I'm sending Onesimus back. You therefore receive him. Forgiveness, even as Christ forgave us. We ought to forgive one another. Paul was guided by a desire and we should be guided by a desire in our interaction with one another to see one another growing in the likeness of Christ. Love, a desire to see a brother and a sister growing in the likeness of Christ. The third thing that guided Paul in his intentionality and should guide all of us as Christians. A desire to see the church 
edified. Because when a brother or sister grow in the likeness of Christ, the whole body is edified. We are called to rejoice with those who are rejoicing. That's the body of Christ, the unity of the body of Christ. As I said, Paul did not just address Philemon, which he could have done, was a personal letter. He did address Aphia, Archippus, and the church in the house of Philemon. Edification of the church. Brethren, not just edification of the church, but the glory of God. And we'll see that through the prayer that Paul offers up to God on behalf of Philemon. That the fellowship of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Glory be given to God alone. The four things that guided Paul in his fellowship with the brethren that should guide us in our fellowship in the context of the local church so that we will be intentional in everything that we do. Love. A desire to see the brother and the sister growing the likeness of Christ. The edification of the whole body of the church of God. And the glory of God. Brethren, let's start with the first one. Because whatever I say after the first point, without it, we cannot follow up. We cannot desire the edification of a brother and sister in Christ, the growing their likeness of Christ. We cannot desire that unless we are aware of the love of God for us. It flows from that. We cannot seek the edification of the church unless we are aware and apprehend the love of God for us in Christ Jesus. We cannot seek the glory of God unless we know by grace through faith that He loves us. And because He loves us, we, by His grace, are called to love Him and given power to love Him as a response of His love for us. So let's go to verse 8 and 9. The prayer of Paul to Philemon. Oh, uh, sorry, to verse, uh, not 8 and 9. Yes, verse 8 and 9, not the prayer, but what he says, he's approaching to Philemon. Verse 8, therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul the aged and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Brethren, Paul was addressing Philemon. His interaction with Philemon was out of love. We do not see Paul mentioning in this letter his apostleship. We see in many other letters he's starting with his apostleship. Even his letter addressed to Timothy, a personal letter as well. Even his letter addressed to Timothy or to Titus. He will bring his apostleship and his authority and he will speak about ecclesiology with them and how the church should function and those things. He will bring his apostleship, but not in this letter. Out of love, he decides to do something different. In his personal interaction with Philemon, through the letter that was written, he decides to do it in a different way. He decides to throw away his authority as an apostle and to approach Philemon as a brother in Christ. More than that, he humbled himself it's not just not Paul the Apostle, but Paul the Aged. Getting towards the end of his life, the Aged. A prisoner of Jesus Christ. Expressing the mind of Christ being conformed in Paul. As he'll tell us in Philippians chapter 2 that we should esteem one another higher than ourselves. 
And that should be the approach to one another in our Christian life. Whatever interaction we have as Christians, brethren, it should be in humility and humbleness. And may the Lord grant that to us. The desire and the strength to do in this way. To approach one another, looking to one another higher than what we look to ourselves, brethren. In fact, that we ourselves may be out of our list of priorities. That God may be first and the brethren. Out of love, for love's sake, he decides to throw away his apostleship and to approach this brother in humility as a brother in Christ, as a picture of the mind of Christ in him. We are called to do the same. Our Lord Jesus Christ, he came. The one who was in the form of God did not take it robbery to be equal with God, but he humbled himself. He was obedient to the point of death and death of the cross. His humility, his, his humbleness as the one who is eternal. The one who created time came into space and time so that he would rescue us from our sins. He was made one like us. He took upon himself flesh in his humility. And we ought to act in such a way with one another, brethren. In humility. But as I said, the love of Paul, what guided Paul to do in this way or to act in this way for love's sake was not his love for Philemon. Yet, was out of love for Philemon, but the fountain or the source of his love for Philemon was not him, Paul. And the love, any love that we should have for one another, if the Lord grants that to us, you are not the source, I am not the source, but the source is God. God is love. In fact, John will tell us in 1 John chapter 4, Beloved, let us love one another. That's the call. Let us love one another. In our interaction, whatever we do, let us love one another. For love is of God. Love comes from God. And everyone who loves is born of Him and knows Him. He who does not love does not know Him. For God is love. So, brother, whatever interaction we have with one another and whatever expression of love we show towards one another, brethren, it's only possible as we apprehend the love of God for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Why we lack intentionality? Why do I lack intentionality in my Christian life? Why do we lack intentionality in our gathering together, not just on Sundays, but whatever the Lord grants us to be together? Why do we lack intentionality in our approach to one another? Why? Brethren, it's because of the lack of our apprehension of the love of God for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because as we grow more in that apprehension, the interaction will come. The intentionality will flow from that. Everyone who loves is born of God. And think about this word, knows God. He who does not love does not know God. For God is love. That word know, brethren, it's not just an apprehension or a, a thinking on your mind about God. It's just not knowing about God, but it's knowing God. And it's a personal and deep experience that I cannot even describe you for, with words. It's a deep experience of the Christian and he, as he comes to know the love of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. When the Lord opens his eyes to see the beauty of Christ. The ugliness of his sins, the beauty of Christ, and his desperate need for the Savior, and the love of God being displayed in the Lord Jesus Christ.
It's only in that way, with that apprehension, that we can love one another. As I said, knowing, it's not knowing about God, but knowing God in a deep relational way. Brethren, the Luke who used that same word in Luke chapter 1, verse 34. Remember when the angel came to Mary and told her that she would uh, bring forth a son? What was the answer of Mary to, angel, to the angel? How can this be? Since I do not know a man. That's the same word that Luke uses to describe or to bring forth the words of Mary by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Since I do not know a man, she was betrothed to Joseph. She knew about men, what a man is, but she did not know a man in that deep relational experience that would cause her to bring forth a son. But brethren, think about it. Because John in his gospel used the same words by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to write down the words of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in John chapter 10. The Lord Jesus Christ will say, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and am known by my own. Even as the Father knows me, I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. The same word that he used in 1 John chapter uh, 4. Brethren, that same knowledge that the Lord Jesus Christ has of the Father in their relationship throughout all eternity before time began, we are called to enter into that. And it's not just something in the past, not just I knew God when the Lord opened your eyes for Christ, but that you know it's, it's present. The power that you need today Will, grant, will be granted to you by the grace of God as you know the Lord more and more today. As you grow in the likeness of Christ, as you apprehend the love of God. That's why, brethren, it's so important to abide in the love of God. It's so important to be bathed and to be uh, present in the gospel of Christ daily. Because in this is love that He gave His only begotten Son to die for our sins. And we can only know God and we can only know love and love one another as the Lord makes us aware of his love for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And brethren, think about it. It has no end. The Lord is eternal. To know God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ whom he has sent is eternal life. And there is no end in his love. And that's why we are called to grow and to abide in his love daily. Not just in the past, daily. Because brethren, that's what will give us power. As the Lord grants us to see his love for us. Because brethren, what compels us to live and to love one another? What compels us to live intentionally in the, in the fellowship that we have with one another? Is the love of God that compels us. Nothing else. That's why I said that whatever comes after that has as its foundation God and His love. So brethren, interact with one another. It should not be in a mechanical way. Brethren, get deeper and deeper. May the Lord help me and help us to get deeper and deeper into the gospel, the gospel for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ so that we may be amazed by the love of God for us in Christ each and every day of our lives. So that it would flow from us in loving one another. 
Because everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. It's the outcome of our relationship with God is love towards one another. It's not what I do, it's what he did for me. It's not what you do, it's what he did for you that will guide you to act in the same way towards one another. Brethren, what guided Paul's intentionality and should guide us in our fellowship with one another in the context of the local church and with the brothers and sisters around the world is love. And the love of God for us but also a desire to see a brother and a sister in Christ grow in the likeness of Christ. Because brethren, fellowship is that which flows from the love of God, creating us a genuine desire to see a brother or a sister grow in the likeness of Christ. It comes from the love of God, and it creates you by the grace of God, a genuine desire to see a brother and a sister grow in the likeness of Christ. Fellowship takes place in that way. It starts with him that creates in us that desire. As we look to one another and whatever interaction with, we have with one another is with the intention, with the desire that that brother or that sister will be more like Christ. And for that, let's just read verse 12. Actually from verse 10. From verse 10, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. I am sending him back. You, therefore, receive him. That is my own heart, whom I wish to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. Brethren, verse 12. I am sending him back. You therefore receive him. Receive him. That is my own heart. Verse 17, Paul will say this. If then you count me as a partner, receive him. Receive him as you would me. Brethren, as I said, as we grow in the apprehension of the love of God for us presently, daily, in Christ Jesus, the Lord is creating in us a genuine desire to see a brother or sister grow in the likeness of Christ. Brethren, Paul was asking, uh, uh, Paul was asking Philemon, receive Onesimus back. The one who has wronged you, who has fled away from you, receive him back. But brethren, receive implies forgiveness. And why am I saying that that was the, 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 that was the desire of Paul to see Philemon grow in the likeness of Christ? Why am I saying that? Let's come to... Uh, Colossians chapter 1. How can we say that taking that verse into account? Colossians chapter 1. As I said, he had a desire. And his intentionality was guided by this desire to see a brother grow in the likeness of Christ. Colossians chapter 1. As I said, Philemon was uh, probably from Colossus as well. And the, the letter written to the Colossians probably was written at the same time that the letter was written to Philemon because we have the name of Timothy in both letters. We have Luke being mentioned in both letters. We have others being mentioned in both letters. We see that it was Onesimus and Tychicus bringing the letter to, Colo to Colossae. So probably both were bringing the letter as well to Philemon at the same time. Keep that in mind. Paul will tell us in verse 28 of Colossians, his desire was a desire to see a brother in Christ, a brother in Christ, glowing in the likeness of Christ. Verse 28. 
Him, Him Christ, the Lord Jesus, we preach. So the reason for His preaching, Him we preach, warning every man, the reason for His warning, and teaching every man, the reason for His teaching, in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Take into account that Paul is appealing to Philemon to receive Onesimus. Out of a desire to see this brother grow in the likeness of Christ. Because him Christ we preach. Warning every man. And teaching all wisdom. That we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. And that word perfect. Some of you may have the word complete. Having reached its end. In the likeness of Christ. So that was the desire of Paul. That was what guided Paul to tell Onesimus as well. Of course, so that reconciliation would happen. He was warning him. He was telling him, appealing to him, receive this one who has wronged you, has fled from you. Receive him. Forgive him. Receive. Take him with you again, not as a slave anymore, but as a brother, a beloved brother. One who was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable both to you and to me. Brethren, whatever we, we do as a church that flows from the love of God, if we speak with one another in preaching, in teaching, in exhorting one another, in encouraging with one another, it should be with the goal of presenting that person complete, perfect in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not just the desire of Paul. It's not something that came out of him. It was the desire of Christ. Everything that he did, we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. Everything that he did was with in view, in his mind, of the accomplishment of, of, uh, uh, of the salvation of his saints. And then bringing them up to glory. He will see the accomplishment of the things that he did. And he will be glad, Isaiah will tell us in chapter 53. Brethren, let's take into account what uh, Paul will tell us about the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 21 and 22 of Colossians 1. As I said, in verse 28, he said, the, the reason why we preach, the reason why we warn every man, the reason why we teach in all wisdom is that we may present every man complete in the Lord Jesus Christ, perfect in the Lord Jesus Christ. That should be the desire of our hearts in whatever we do, in our conversations, in our prayers for one another, in whatever we do, brethren, it should be with that goal in mind, with that desire in our hearts. Verse 21, as I said, was not the desire of Paul, but the desire of Christ in Paul. Verse 21, brethren. Oh, verse, from, let's start from verse 19. For it pleased the Father that in Him, in Christ, all the fullness should dwell. And by Him, by Christ, by our Lord Jesus to reconcile. Reconciliation. Which requires receiving, which requires forgiveness. Because of wrongdoing, of what we did. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And, it say, and He says... And by him, by Christ, to reconcile all things to himself. By him, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Having made peace through the blood of his cross. Verse 21. And you, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. Yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh. Has bring reconciliation between us and God. We who were enemies against God by wicked works. 
Yet now he has reconciled, has brought us to the family of God in the body of his flesh through death. As he gave his life for his own to present you holy. What was the desire of Christ in everything that he did? Remember that Paul said, everything that we do is to present every man complete, perfect in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as I said, it's not the heart of Paul, but the heart of Christ. As our brother was preaching last uh, a few weeks ago, it's the heart of Christ being conformed in Paul. Because that's the desire of Christ as he sees each and everyone who is part of his bride. In the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. And brethren, why is a desire to see someone grow in the likeness of Christ? Sanctification is the growing the likeness of Christ. Glorification is seeing Christ and being as he is. What is the image of God described in the New Testament for us? Colossians 3, 10, Ephesians 4, 24. Through righteousness, holiness, knowledge, which we take as knowledge of God, that relationship with God. We saw first that the one who loves is the one who is born of God and knows God. And we see here in verse 21 and through verse 22 that the accomplishment of the Lord Jesus Christ will bring us, will give us through righteousness and holiness to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in sight. That's the desire of Christ. And that should be the desire that we should have for one another as whatever, you, whatever we do as a local church. In whatever interaction we have. On a Sunday, on a Wednesday, on a Thursday, on a Monday. Everything that we do should be in light of that. Guiding us. That should drive us in our interaction with one another. The love of God for us. And that deep desire to see that brother and that sister grow in the likeness of Christ. Because brethren, the love of God, fellowship is that which flows from the love of God to us. That creates in us a genuine desire to see a brother and a sister grow in the likeness of Christ. And that to the edification of the church. For the edification of the church. Let's go back to, to Philemon. And let's address Read verse 6. As I said, fellowship, true Christian fellowship, is that which flows from the love of God that creates in us a genuine desire to see a brother and a sister grow in the likeness of Christ so that we may present every man complete, perfect in the Lord Jesus Christ and that for the edification of the church. Verse 6, the prayer that Paul offers to God on behalf of Philemon, that the sharing Oh, sorry, verse 1 and 2. I'm sorry, brethren. Verse 1 and 2. We'll address that verse 6 later on. Verse 1 and 2. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow labor, to the beloved Aphia, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. As I said, brethren, that desire to see a brother and a sister go in the likeness of Christ, it's for the edification of the church as well. Having that in view, that was also what guided Paul in his interaction with the brethren. Should guide us in our intentionality in everything that we do. As I said, it's a personal letter. It's directly to Philemon. Paul is appealing to him to do something. As we read in this letter. 
but he decides to address Aphia, Archippus, and the church in Philemon's house. Some people say that Aphia could be uh, Philemon's wife, Archippus could be his son, or a preacher in the church uh, in Colossus. Brethren, we don't know, we're not giving this here, but we can ask the question, how are we edified when the Lord makes us aware of a situation of a brother and sister in Christ that is related to them personally, specifically? Maybe here Paul, with the intention of Paul, should be to take any hindrance away. Maybe those people are someone or part of the family of Philemon. And as Onesimus fled away and maybe wronged his master in any way, stealing something perhaps we don't know, they may have felt that as well with Philemon. And maybe Paul wants to take any hindrance away and proclaiming today, look, I have someone whom the Lord has saved in his grace, who has shown the fruits of the gospel of Christ in his life, fruits of repentance. He's now my own heart. He's profitable to me. And I wish to keep him with me. I'm sending him back. Perhaps was with that intention, but brethren, let's think, think on our context as a local church. When you know of something about me, that is related to me, that the Lord is requiring of me in my life, or when I know something about you, or when we know something about each other, how are we edified? How is the church edified? Brethren, I'll present to you in at least two ways. We are edified when we hear about something in relation to a brother or a sister, first through prayer. And we are edified through thanksgiving. The church is edified through prayer and thanksgiving. Whatever we hear as a local church of a situation of a brother and sister in Christ, whatever it may be, we are edified in prayer and in thanksgiving. In prayer as we share their burden with us. As we take before the Lord, because brethren, think about it. Everything that the Lord requires of us, it's impossible for you to do. It's impossible for me to do. There is no power. There is no strength in and of ourselves to do whatever the Lord requires us to do. Whatever it is in your life, there is no power on you. There is no strength to go through pain and suffering or tribulation or whatever it is. There is no power in you or in me to forgive one another and to love one another unless the Lord grants that to us. That should guide us to prayer. And brethren, it would not even need, if we have a love for one another because of the love of God for us, it would not even need for you or for me to come to you and say, please pray for me. As soon as you know of a situation or as soon as I know of a situation, it should guide us to prayer. As I said, whatever the Lord requires of us that we are going through or that you should do, you cannot do on your own strength. If you know where the Lord saved you from, if I know where the Lord saved me from, that should bring me in total dependence upon God. And if I know that of me, and I know that you are in the same boat as I am, that there is no strength, no desire, that both to you and to do of his good pleasure comes from him, it should guide us to prayer, to our knees before the Lord, so that we may ask on behalf of a brother and sister in Christ. That's what Paul did for Philemon. We're not even aware of the prayers that he made to the Lord on behalf of this reconciliation. The prayers that he offered up to God when he was preaching the word of God to Onesimus. So that God would save him. 
The prayers that he offered up to God so that maybe Onesimus would understand that he needs to go back and seek reconciliation and ask for forgiveness. We don't know, brethren, the prayers that Paul may have offered before God so that reconciliation will take place. So that God would be glorified through that. So that the church would be edified, brother. Brethren, through prayer. And as I said, it's not just, we don't need to come to one another. If we're here, it should automatically guide us into our knees, into prayer to God for whatever situation we see with one another. May the Lord help me. May the Lord help you. And why am I saying that? Let's, let's read verse 4 and 5 from Philemon. Paul will express his thanksgiving to God and will tell Philemon, I thank my God. That's part of my prayer, Philemon, and I thank him. Making mention of you always in my prayer. Philemon, I'm praying for you. I'm making mention of you always in my prayer. Hearing. Hearing, Philemon. Not because you asked, but because I heard of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus Christ and toward all the saints. A response by hearing of your love guided me to prayer. Knowing what you have to do now as required by the Lord to forgive a brother in Christ, even as Christ forgave you. Knowing that, my response is prayer. That the fellowship of your faith, that the fellowship of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. By hearing Philemon, I heard about God in your life. And the response was prayer to God and thanksgiving to him. Knowing what you have to do now as a brother in Christ to forgive and receive Onesimus, I'm praying to God on your behalf. Brethren, even today, it's not that uh, we should send a message to her, but even today I had brothers and sisters telling me, Diego, I'm praying for you by knowing that I would have to come here and that I can do nothing on my own strength. They were simply responding by knowing what would take place. I'm praying for you, brother. Let's go to Colossians chapter 1 again. If you want to, to, to turn there. But Paul expressed his prayer to the Colossians as well. As I said, when he prayed to Philemon, on behalf of Philemon, he said, hearing. Because I heard the response was prayer. Thanksgiving to God. And because I knew what he had to do in Christ, forgive a brother even as Christ forgave you and receive him, I prayed as well. Verse 9 of Colossians chapter 1. For this reason, we also, Paul telling the Colossians, we and those with him, since the day we heard it, and if we read a little bit before, it says about uh, uh, which has come to you, the gospel of the gospel which has come to you in verse 6, as it has also in all the world, bringing forth fruit. It is, it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth, and you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. And then Paul said, for this reason we also, as we heard of your love, in the spirit of the works that is flowing from the faith that the Lord has given you. For this reason, 
we also, since the day we heard it, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. And to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing the knowledge of God. He strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. How is the church edified? How are we edified when we know of a situation of a brother and sister in Christ? And this is part of our fellowship through prayer. And may the Lord help us and help me help you, brethren, to do this. And also through thanksgiving. As the church witnessed the work of God, God answering prayer in the life of a brother and sister in Christ, there's thanksgiving. There's refreshment. The church is edified. The church grows. As we witness the work of God in the life of brother or sister in Christ. Thanksgiving. As Paul heard of Philemon, I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayer. Hearing of your love. Thanksgiving to God, refreshment. For the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. With expectation. When we pray that the Lord is the one who can do it. And if he started, he will bring it to completion. He was bold to say, to ask Philemon, Philemon, refresh my heart. Being confident in your obedience. I write to you. Knowing that you do even more than what I'm asking you. Not because of you, because... I know the one whom I pray to, and he's able to answer the prayer, even more than I asked of him, even more than I prayed, he can do it. And brethren, that will render, that will give God thanksgiving. Let's go to Second Corinthians uh, chapter one, verse 11. Second Corinthians chapter one. Many thanksgiving being given to God. Yes, verse 9. Let's start with verse 9. Of verse 8. For we, do not want to, for we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren. Verse 8 of Second Corinthians chapter 1. Paul telling the Corinthians. We do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia. That we were burdened beyond measure above strength so that we despaired even of life. The situation was such that we thought, it is the end now. Yes, we had the sentence of death ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Look what he says. Who delivered us, God, the one who delivered us from so great a death, and does deliver us, continue doing so, in whom we trust that he will still deliver us, you also, verse 11, helping together in prayer for us, for the advancement of the gospel of Christ, knowing what the Lord has called us to do, you together helping prayer with us, for us, that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. That when the Lord answers prayer, 
that many thanksgiving may be given to the one who is working in the midst of his people. Brethren, how are we edified? How was the church in the house of Philemon edified? In praying. And we don't know if they were even praying for Onesimus when he fled. In the meantime, if it was an answer of their prayers as well to God on behalf of Onesimus, that he would come back. Or that the Lord would save him. We don't know, brethren. But through prayer, the church is edified. And as they witness the work of God, as Paul would tell Philemon, as we have witnessed, our hearts, the hearts of the saints have been refreshed. And brethren, last point. What is true fellowship, true Christian fellowship, is that which flows from the love of God for us. That creates in us a genuine desire to see a brother and a sister grow in the likeness of Christ. That for the edification of the church to the glory of God and of God alone. Let's go back to Philemon and now we'll address, uh, we'll read, go back to Philemon. And let's go to verse 6. The prayer of Paul to God on behalf of Philemon. You say, I thank my God in verse 4, making mention of you always in my prayers. Hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Brethren, to the glory of God, that the sharing of your faith may become effective. Brother, that word sharing, brethren, is the same word as fellowship. It's the same word as fellowship. Translate sharing. Some, I think we have that the partaking or that the, uh, I don't know the other words that would be translated, but it's sharing is the same as fellowship. Then comes the question. How can someone have fellowship in the faith that is given to you in the Lord Jesus Christ? We have this idea of sharing the faith as we preach the gospel, and that's truth. It's the faith that we are sharing as we preach the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's one faith. But Paul will be specific here. That the sharing, Philemon, of your faith may become effective. The Lord has granted a measure of faith through each one of us in His grace. How can someone partake of the faith that the Lord has granted me? How can someone partake of the faith that the Lord has granted you? How can a brother or sister partake of that faith, receive of that faith, have fellowship with you in that faith? How is that possible? And I think as we go to James chapter 2, we can understand that a little bit better. Let's go to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. Verse 14. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith? If it just comes out of his mouth, if he's trying to share his faith, what effect has it? What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, 
what does it profit? Is that the sharing of faith, that which comes from the mouth? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Brethren, how can we partake of the faith that the Lord has given each one of us, of the measure of the faith that the Lord has given each one of us? It's through the works that faith produces. That the fellowship of your faith, that that which faith, the faith that the Lord has given you, you will produce the fruit of that faith may be effective, Philemon, may have power, may reach its goal, may be intentional, may be effective. That's how we have fellowship with one another, by the fruits that faith produces. Think about Rahab, that he mentioned here, verse 25, likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works? When she received the messages and sent them on out another way, faith was given to Rahab. That faith produced works. And the spies were partakers of the faith that was given to her. Brethren, in our interaction with one another, whatever we do that comes out of faith, then fellowship happens. Because it's in the Lord Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. When that happens, when the outcome of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is the author of that faith, then fellowship takes place. But as I said, it's by the love of God to us that creates in us a desire to see one another grow in the likeness of Christ for the edification of the church to the glory of God. That your faith may be effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Whatever faith produces, it's only possible in Christ. There is no way we can bear any fruit outside of Him. Let's come to John chapter 15, brethren. I'm finishing soon. John chapter 15. Let's start from verse 1. Brethren, you cannot bear fruit. We cannot bear fruit in our fellowship with one another unless we abide in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why when the Apostle Paul would tell us in Colossians that we should put on the, old, the new man, put off the, the, put off the old man and put on the new man, which is created according to God in true knowledge, or in knowledge and, and we see in Ephesians, true righteousness and holiness. The putting on of the new man is only possible as we look to Christ. That's why he'll tell us, even as Christ, he'll point us to Christ in Colossians chapter 3. He'll tell us, forgive one another, even as Christ forgave you, forgave you. He's pointing us to Christ because the only way that that can happen, brethren, everything that I said, is as we look to the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's why he'll tell us in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and we spoke about it when, when we spoke about the, the, glory, the reasons why we should behold the glory of God, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and 4. He'll tell us it's by beholding the glory of God in the face of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that we are transformed into His image by the Spirit of God. It's by abiding in Him that we can bear fruits. 
Verse 1 of chapter 15, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Look what he'll tell us. Abide in me. Verse 4. And I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, neither can I, unless we abide in Christ. Unless you abide in me. Brethren, the importance, as I said at the beginning, to be bathed in the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ so that we may abide in the love of God which is displayed in Christ. And he said, in this is love. In the one who is love and gave his son for us. Because God, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. In this is love in Christ. Abide in I am the vine, you are the branches, verse 5. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. And as I said, brethren, it's all to the glory of God. Brethren, that the accomplishment of what Paul asked Philemon, that would render God glory. Because Philemon would only be able to do that, what Paul required of him, what the Lord required of him through the Apostle Paul. He was only able to do that as he abided in the Lord Jesus Christ with his eyes in Christ. In our fellowship, in forgiving one another, in bearing with one another, in forbearing one another, in loving one another, in, in, in being merciful towards one another. It's only possible as we, as we abide in Christ. And brethren, that will bring glory to God. Verse 8. By these my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. And that fruit that faith produces bring glory to God. And those who are outside seeing the fellowship of the church with the Father and with His Son in the Holy Spirit and the fellowship with one another because of the love of God for us will cause others to see indeed that we are disciples of Christ. May stop their mouths and the Lord may use it for His glory. To save them. It's all to the glory of God. So brethren, what is true fellowship? As I said, we, we should just seek to be intentional in our relationship with one another. In whatever we do. The intentionality of the Christian life in our fellowship with God. It's only possible if we are guided by those four things. The most important being love. The love of God for us. So true fellowship is that which flows from the love of God that creates in us a desire to see a brother and a sister grow in the likeness of Christ, that genuine desire, that for the edification of the church and that to the glory of God. Brethren, may the Lord help us to look to Christ and look to Christ. Look to Him because He's the only one who can do that. Bring more and more of the love of Christ into your minds. 
Abide in His love for you. Because there's power in the love of God to make us grow in the likeness of Christ as we see Him by faith. And you who are not in Christ, how can you seek the glory of God if you seek your own? How can you desire to see the one who is next to you grow in the likeness of Christ if you seek your own? How can you desire to see the church edified if you seek your own? Paul, when he spoke about Timothy in Philemon, or in, in Philippians, he'll tell the brethren, he's like-minded, he has the same mind as I, because he has the mind of Christ. For everyone seek their own, and not that which is of Christ Jesus. You who are without Christ, remember, you will give an account to God for the things you say, your thoughts, your life, your deeds, and there is nothing that can take you out of the wrath of God. Only the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who came, lived a perfect life, holy in all things, obeying the Father in all things, under the law, so that he would rescue and save those who are under the law. Look to the Lord Jesus Christ so that you may be saved, so that you may seek the glory of God, the edification of the church, so that you may desire to see the, a, a brother and a sister in Christ grow, grow in the likeness of Christ. Look to Christ because it's coming, a day in which, it's coming a day in which we will give an account to God of everything that we did. And the only way to have peace with God is through the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Today is the day of your salvation. After death, judgment follows. So today is the day. Look to the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And brethren, look to the Lord Jesus Christ and grow in the likeness of Christ for the edification of the church to the glory of the one who saved us from our sins and from his wrath. Let's pray.